0: Amen. All right. So as we've been going throughout the book of Genesis, we've been showing all the practical reasons that all the stories are there. And uh, we've also been trying to look at like the spiritual things, the doctrinal things that the New Testament will refer to that we're supposed to learn from these things. And while the New Testament doesn't reference this particular chapter, uh, I personally believe a lesson that the Jews never learned, you know, could have been learned. From this chapter, and I believe the Apostle Paul, uh, I I believe what he's dealing with in Romans chapter 2 specifically, um, I believe they could have learned that lesson that he was trying to teach from this story right here. So you can kind of be thinking about what that is as we go through this chapter. Something important that the Apostle Paul brought up in Romans chapter 2 that Israel, that Jews did not get, that they did not understand. And I think this story that we're about to look at is a classic example of that. So uh, we'll go through the whole chapter, and then we'll talk a little bit about Romans 2 and help uh, shed some light on that chapter, because people get a little confused on Romans 2. And it's often because they don't like what Romans 1 teaches, and so then they go to Romans 2 and then try to you know, turn everything on its head, but now actually Romans 2 goes along great with Romans one you He's got to look at the full context of what he's trying to teach in Romans 1, 2, and 3. But let's go ahead and start reading in verse 1 of Genesis 34. And it says, And Dinah, the daughter of Leah, which she bare unto Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and defiled her. So this is a bad thing that happened right here. But I will say, though, there's no evidence that Shechem raped her. It looks like it was very consensual. It looks like it was something she agreed to. She went out to go see the daughters of the land. And she, you know like females do okay i hate to be you know just lump all females together i know all females are like this but let me ask you who cares more about the culture you know male or female i mean guys do we really care that much about fitting in when it comes to how we dress and all that kind of stuff women are typically more sensitive to that you know they are sensitive to the styles and things that are going on where guys we think nothing of it okay okay I was at a, we were at a, at the pilots convention in Bourbon A years ago. It was like a fine arts competition for Christian schools and homeschools. And I remember when we were there, every school group, the girls in the groups all were wearing these scarves around their necks. Every group. And I, all of a sudden, I'm looking and I'm just like, every school, the girls are wearing those scarves. That's weird. And then I looked at my wife and my daughter and they were wearing them too. I had never even noticed them until literally I saw like every female in this place was wearing them. I remember sitting there thinking, are we in some kind of cult? You know, it's like the scarf cult or something like that. And apparently those things were just in style, all right? There's nothing wrong with scarves or anything like that. But they obviously were in style then. That's what Baptist females were doing. And, you know, I never even noticed it until I was sitting in there and I'm seeing hundreds all wearing it at the same time. But apparently my wife and daughter had already noticed it and picked up on it. You know why? Because females pay attention to that stuff. Guys, we don't. And so, you know, that's why they need that male leadership too, especially when it comes to keeping them from doing the bad stuff. Because, listen, there's a reason women are out in public, you know, very overweight, wearing yoga pants, okay? It's because everybody's doing it. No husband told his wife to do that. Okay? There's a reason that women were all getting Karen haircuts a few years back. It wasn't because their husbands told them to. It's because everybody was doing it, and they picked up on it. It didn't, didn't matter how hideous it was. It was what society was doing, so women did it. Okay? It's just how they are. So Dinah, she's going to see the daughters of the land, and apparently the behavior that she participated in was the behavior of the women in that land, because Shechem, we're going to see, he wasn't really that bad of a guy, I don't believe. But at the same time, it's like, well, look at the way he just immediately just defiles Dinah. That's what they did in that land. That was that culture. They were bad, they were a bad culture. And she obviously had no conviction of her own. And so when she gets around these people, she does what those people do. And that was wrong, and that was wicked. So there's no evidence in the story. In fact, it, it's to the contrary that it was not, you know, of it, it being raped. And so every bit of evidence... Points the fact Dinah was a willing participant in this wickedness, and so pretty much everything we're going to see from here on out with Jacob's children shows that there is like no godliness in these people at all, except for Joseph. Joseph is about it. I mean, the things that we see them doing. Remember, this is this is the, really the first generation of Israel, okay, where they're at more than just a couple. You know, where we've got twelve brethren here and they just they were not good guys. They were really bad guys. More proof that salvation is not by the works of the law. And I don't and I don't know that all of them were saved. I personally think they probably were with the exception of Dan, but that's my opinion. We can talk about that in a later chapter, but that's only opinion. I don't know that. But we do know Joseph was good. And so while Joseph is always looked at in a positive light and rightfully show, so, one thing that's rarely brought up about Joseph is about how godly he was considering how ungodly all of his brothers and sisters were. I mean, it's a pretty amazing thing about Joseph. So I think whenever we're talking about Joseph and his godliness in the next chapters, you know, consider the fact that, you know, look at what he came out of. And don't we often bring that up when you see somebody who came out of a really rough family and they end up living for the Lord? It causes us to look at that person with a great deal of respect. Where somebody who came from a good family, it's like, well, you know, You know, Yeah, they should be that way. And that's right, isn't it? And that goes along with what we're talking about in this message. So Joseph was impressive because of the family he came out of. They weren't very good. So, uh, So I believe, personally, that Shechem, in many ways, was a decent person, but he was from a wicked culture. And something that we need to do, we need to take into consideration the culture that people are from before we judge them too harshly. I don't know if you all realize it, but when we look in our Bible, it makes sin look pretty bad, doesn't it? It makes sin look really bad. And you know, you can speak as rough against sin as you want, and you're probably going to be right about just how bad it is, okay? But at the same time, though, when it comes to us judging individuals, we should take into consideration what the people are from before we judge them too harshly, because you know, every fornicator, for example, you know, that is a wicked person. Fornication is a wicked thing. But that, does that mean that every fornicator is just some dangerous person? Because the truth is, many have never been told the truth. Many people have never been told. Nobody's ever told them that you shouldn't sleep together till you get married. That's foreign to them. Now, there was a time when our culture was much more Christian and people, they knew. Okay? But now, I believe there's people that literally just don't know. I believe there's people like that, and they do, man. They look at us like we're crazy when we talk about going to the marriage altar pure. I know when I was a teenager, my coworkers acted like I was crazy, you know, when they'd find that out, because that was just foreign to them. And the thing is, their life was foreign to me. You know, I've talked about that, but, you know, I'm thankful for that. But, you know, at the same time, I'm not really anything to be impressed with because I was raised right. But you know, somebody who came out of that culture. I remember one of the guys I worked with uh, when I started working at the distribution center in Spring Valley. I remember we got talking, and him and his wife—they never were together until they got married, and neither of them were Christians. And I remember I was shocked. I'm like, really? You guys—you don't—you're not even Christian. You don't go to church. And he's like, like I said, what made you do it that way? And he's like, I just always thought that's a better way to do it. And, you know, when it comes to, you know, if you have common sense, you're going to know certain sins are bad. You're going to know fornication is wrong. You know, you don't have to have a Bible to know that that kind of thing is bad. You know, multiple wives are bad. Adultery is bad. You don't have to have a Bible to know that stuff. But our culture is just so wicked, people just think that's what you ought to do. But this guy that I worked with who wasn't even a Christian, he just they just felt like you shouldn't do that till you're married. I mean, that blew me away. I'm more impressed with somebody like that than somebody that came from a Christian home like I did. And that's a that's a rare thing right there. I, I mean I've I don't know I've not known many people like that at all. But remember, wicked just means to be lawless. Some people just have no law in their life because nobody's taught them anything. Nobody has taught them anything. And so, you know, a lot of times, you know, you have the robots in the church that they hear a preacher get up and just rip face on sin because he's preaching to people who should know better. You know, and I do. I have much higher expectations from people in our church than I do for people out there. And while I might ask you if you do some of these things, are you insane? Is something wrong with you? I'm not necessarily going to do that to the person out walking on the streets. But that's what some people do. You know, they they just don't know any better. They never know how to apply anything. They have no compassion, they have no ability to just Imagine what it's like to walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. And what do we expect from this world? What do we expect from somebody who came up through the public school and was never taught any morality? I don't expect much from him. And see, the truth is, especially back during this day, when we've been seeing throughout the book of Genesis the way the people in these lands were, what would we expect from Shechem? What was Jacob expecting when he let his daughter go into that land? What did he think was going to happen? You know, did he never hear the story? Was the, was the story not passed down to him about Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah, what it was like there? Was the story not passed down to him about what happened with Sarah, with Abimelech, and in Egypt, and what happened with Isaac, with Abimelech? What was he expecting? You know, and the Bible doesn't give us these details, but I'm just saying all this to say that we can't expect too much from some people. And Luke 12:48 says, But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. So just understand, folks, y'all know better here. You're saved. You have the Holy Spirit. You're in a Bible-believing church. God expects more from you than he does from people out there. And you know what? God expects more from you in here than he does from people in churches that aren't preaching all the truth. That maybe have some false Bibles in there. But did you know that it's possible you might meet somebody from a liberal church that's a decent person? Yeah, But they might do some things that you, that we preach against, strongly. But, but at the same time, you know, it's still wrong what they're doing. But you know what? You need to take it easy on them. They don't know any better. Somebody needs to show them the truth. And uh, we've got to make sure we factor these things in. Before we go around condemning everybody and some people they only read their Bible to figure out what they can hit people over the head with They only listen to preaching to find out another fact that they can condemn somebody with and that's a wicked attitude and these people need to read Romans 2 and we'll get to that So we don't like you know We don't want to make light here in the story of what Shechem did But we do, do need to understand in many ways. I believe he was a pretty decent guy And so it says in verse 5 and Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah his daughter Now his sons were with his cattle in the field, and Jacob held his peace until they were come. Now the fact that the defiling here, I personally believe, was more than just the fact that Shechem laid with Dinah, but it was the fact that Dinah was of Israel and Shechem was not. He was uncircumcised. And it says in Genesis chapter 17 and verse 10... It says, this is my covenant, which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin. And it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you. Every man child in your generations, he that is born in the house or bought with money of any stranger, which is not of thy seed, and that is he that is born in thy house, and he that is bought... "...with thy money must needs be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised man child, whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant." So this isn't just people that were born in their house, but if they become a part of Israel, they were to be circumcised. Why? Because God wanted a set-apart people for himself himself. And so God made a covenant in their flesh. This was something that they practiced back then. And so for for someone in Israel to intermarry with somebody, uh, especially the women marrying a man, you know, they would take women all the time, but would, especially with a man, they could not let men get involved with their women unless they were circumcised. That was a part of that covenant. Now, later, laws were added in the book of Exodus. We see that. But... Here, it was pretty much just the circumcision was all they had. So the defiling that took place here is the fact that one of their women, you know, slept with a man who was uncircumcised. That was the problem that they had. I don't even think it was so much the fornication, because we're going to see these people didn't care that much about fornication later in the book, too. But they did care about the fact that it happened with one of their women by a man who was uncircumcised. They looked down on it these people, even though God never gave them that law, but yet they expected it. And so in verse 6, and Hamer, the father of Shechem, went out unto Jacob to commune with him, and the sons of Jacob came out of the field when they heard it, and the men were grieved, and they were very wroth, because he had wrought folly in Israel, in lying with Jacob's daughter, which thing ought not to be done. And so it mentioned, and I think it was in verse 5, how Jacob had held his peace, until his sons came. And so we don't see anywhere in this passage what Jacob's judgment was when he found out about this. We don't see him uh, offering up any solution or a- anything. Jacob's sons end up deciding what ought to be done. Jacob's sons decide, and they were pretty wicked. And so it says in verse 8, And Hamor commune with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longeth for your daughter, I pray you give her him to wife. And make ye marriages with us, and give your daughters unto us, and take our daughters unto you. And ye shall dwell with us, and the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade ye therein, and get ye possessions therein. And Shechem said unto her father, and unto her brethren, let me find grace in your eyes. And what ye shall say unto me, well I, I will give. Ask me never so much dowry and gift, and I will give according, as ye shall say unto me. But give me the damsel little wife. And the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor his father deceitfully and said, because he had defiled Dinah, their sister. So Shechem here, he's willing to do whatever he's got to do to get Dinah. He wants her that much. Now, I personally think said if he would have known ahead of time, hey, no sleeping together, no marriage, I think he probably would have honored that. He wanted her that bad. I mean, he's willing to pay all this dowry and everything. He wanted her. They're trying to make an agreement with Israel. Hey, let's just be one people. You marry our daughters, we'll marry your daughters. Let's be one people. You know, they're speaking peacefully here. Uh, I think their intentions were to the best that they were capable of. You know, this was just a rough group that didn't have what Jacob and his sons have. They didn't know God. And so we see, though, when Jacob's sons gives them an answer they answered deceitfully, but they justified it because he had defiled their sister. They thought, well, we can do them wrong because they did us wrong. That's wrong, folks. When people do you wrong, you don't get to do wrong back. Okay? It's amazing how many people will excuse bad behavior because, well, you had bad behavior first. So therefore, it's okay. Wrong. That's not how that works. But anyway, you know, here's a question we've got to ask. Where do we think they picked up this deceitfulness? I mean, haven't we been watching Jacob deceive and deceive and deceive? And then, you know, we get to see all of Jacob's life, him being deceived by his sons. I believe one of God's best ways of punishing us is by making us reap everything we sowed with our children. So watch it. Okay. Hey, even if you're not married, don't have kids yet. Watch it. Okay. Some of you are going to one of these days have to be faced with what you did in your son. I'm looking at Jason right now. Just the stuff that he does and comes up with is like, I never taught him that. But he he just naturally does it. I don't get it. It's, it's, it's weird. I'm just glad I never did anything too bad because I'd be scared to death with him. But at the, at the same time, that's just the way it works. So keep those things in mind. If you're a kid, if you're a teenager, anything you're going to do, do you want to deal with it in your kids? And kids, you know, they, they think, oh, I, I just won't ever tell my kids about it. You don't have to. It's going to be in their genetic code in their DNA. Because you did it. I don't know how that works, but it works. So just don't do bad stuff like that, and you probably won't have to deal with it with your kids. And so, um, verse 14, and they said unto them, We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one that is uncircumcised. That's true. Okay, they weren't supposed to do that, for that were a reproach unto us. Okay, so for them and for their culture and for what God had given them. They were, they're weren't. they telling the truth here. But in this will we consent unto you, if you will be as we be, that every male of you be circumcised. Then will we give our daughters unto you, and we will take your daughters to us, and we will dwell with you, and we will become one people. But if you will not hearken unto us to be circumcised, then will we take our daughter, and we will be gone. And their words, please Hamor, and check him, Hamor's son. And the young man deferred not to do the thing, because he had delight in Jacob's daughter, And was more honorable than all the house of his father. So he's better than the rest of this crowd. Okay, he's a fornicator, but that was par for the course in this town. But they were willing to do this big thing. I mean, I wonder how all the other men felt about that. You know, they're all doing this so Shechem can get the wife that he wants. But that's kind of power they had. These guys were the leader, and so while he was a bad guy. You know, he was really good, I believe, considering where he came from. And so in verse 20, And Hamor and Shechem his son came into the gate of their city and communed with the men of the city, saying, These men are peaceable with us. Therefore let them dwell in the land and trade therein for the land. Behold, it is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters to us for wives, and let us give them our daughters. Only herein will the men consent unto us for to dwell with us to be one people, if every male among us be circumcised as they are circumcised. Shall not their cattle and their substance and every beast of theirs be ours? Only let us consent unto them, and they will dwell with us. And unto Hamer and unto Shechem his son hearken all that went out of the gate of his city, and every male was circumcised. all that went out of the gate of his city. So, notice, they all get circumcised. Now, what can this help us with? All right, this can help us prove that circumcision never saved anybody. Because if... Salvation was through the circumcision like many Jews thought. And this whole town just got saved pretty much. Just be, but the truth is, we know they didn't get saved. They weren't believing in God. They weren't trusting in Him. They were all doing it so Shechem could get the woman that he wanted. Nobody would ever think that these people all got saved because of what they did here in their flesh. But now, had they done it because they wanted to worship God like Israel... You know, they saw if they'd have seen the blessing that God had on them, and then they would have trusted in their God, and then followed that, you know, command, they'd have believed God, then, and you know, I believe they would have become the people of God, you know, through the circumcision. But their salvation wouldn't have been through the circumcision, it would have been through the belief. But there was no belief here. There's no faith in God. There's just a physical act, and nobody got saved from that, and nobody would ever even think that they did. So... We've, but we can also you know I think safely assume that a big motivator for them making this deal here is that well, um, because Jacob was very prosperous, they were growing as a people they were growing in wealth they probably knew about the blessing of God that was on him because we've seen that was the case all the other places where Abraham and Isaac went we've been seeing how people were scared of them. Why? Because God's blessing was all over them. Everything that they touched turned to gold. God protected them. God was good to them. I think that's probably one of the reasons, too, the the men of that land probably weren't like, you know what, let's just take Dinah. They were probably afraid to because they understood these guys had God on their side. So the thing is, in their carnal minds, they're thinking these people are rich, they're protected, their God's more powerful than our God. Let's make this deal. This will be a great deal financially for us. That's kind of what they're thinking in their mind. and I think Jacob and his sons probably knew that was tempting. Okay? because it'd be like marrying into the Trump family. Okay? You know listen, anybody that would let their daughter marry into the Trump family is doing it for one reason. the money. Okay? Everybody, everybody would know that everybody would agree you know, I think everybody would agree with that that you know that family doesn't have like the best reputation for you know, strong marriages. So it's like, you know, why would you let your daughter marry into that? Money. Alright. Money, power. You know, and so, um, we, I think that's the motivation here for these people. So verse 25 says, And it came to pass on the third day, when they were sore, that two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brethren, took each man a sword and came upon the city boldly and slew all the males. And now, the question I have here, is, you know, and the Bible doesn't answer these questions really. But did the older brothers know what they were going to do, or was it just their idea? Because they did all answer them deceitfully, you know. Or what, you know? And was it just the two of them? Did two men kill all the men in this city, or was it Simeon and Levi and their servants? You know, just like Abraham defeated the four kings we saw earlier, but it wasn't just Abraham; he had his men too. You know, I don't know. These are just kind of questions I have because that's pretty cool if two guys went and took out all the men in that city. You know, maybe that's why the other brothers weren't there. Now ah, We can take these guys. You know, I, I don't know. These are the things I think about when I read these stories. But, you know, I wonder why didn't the other brothers participate? Because what's interesting is, and what we're going to see later, the birthright or, of the, or the blessing of the firstborn, or, uh, it, it actually kind of went to Judah, Because Reuben, in the next chapter, we're going to see he lays with Bilhah, his father's concubine. And then Simeon and Levi, we're going to see later, it's mentioned that they're not going to get that blessing because of this very act here, that they did this cruel act of going and killing all the men in the city. And so Judah was number four. So Judah is the one whom the brethren would praise. And so he kind of got it. He's the one where the Messiah ended up coming through his line, and it was, be- and so it didn't go to Simeon or Levi because of this event right here, and it didn't go to Reuben because of an event we're going to see in the next chapter. We'll talk about that next week. So I don't know. Maybe these guys knew they were going to bring a curse on themselves, and so just two of them did it instead of bringing a curse on all of them. I, I don't know. These are, just, these are things I wonder about and scratch my head about and speculate on, but I, I really don't know. But either way, it was bad what they did, and they got in trouble for it. And so verse 26, And they slew Hamor and Shechem his son with the edge of the sword and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went out. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and spoiled the city because they had defiled their sister and they took their sheep and their oxen and their asses and that which was in the city and that which was in the field and all their wealth and all their little ones and their wives took they captive and spoiled even all that was in the house. So notice Israel now has just become greater in wealth, in number, numbers, and in power. But was this a good way? Was this through the blessing of God here? No, this was through a cruel act, a cruel, deceptive act. They go, and yes, it was wrong when their sister was defiled, but they went and they now have taken everything. They've killed all the men. They've taken the women. They've taken the children. They've taken all the animals. And so now Israel has just become greater numerically speaking, in power, but it was bad what they did. It was not in the right way. And so in verse 30, Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have troubled me to make me stink among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And I being few in number, they shall gather themselves together against me and slay me, and I shall be destroyed. I and my house. So now they're in greater, they have all these possessions now, but they're in greater danger because now everybody's going to hate them. Now people aren't going to, Deal with them like Hamor and Shechem did, where they're being kind and trying to make a deal, because nobody's going to trust them now. Okay, it's, it's, it always is bad to be dishonest and cruel and all these things. It's never going to help you. You don't get ahead by doing these things. Righteousness is the greatest safeguard that you can have in your life. Bible says we're to put on the breastplate of righteousness. What does a breastplate do? It covers our vital areas. That where everybody's going to be aiming to try to get us. And if we're doing things right, if we're doing things righteous, then we're safe. We've got that protection with that breastplate of righteousness. And so while they have been protected before by God, Jacob's probably wondering, now are we going to be protected? Because what they had done was not righteous. It was not good. And folks, you better just mark it down. You better, you better work on righteousness in your life. Because there's always people out there trying to get us. There's people, I mean, right, I've got so many people out there right now that are taking their shots at me. But you know what protects me is a breastplate of righteousness. What protects me is, you know, there's no dirt. Because trust me, if it was out there, people would have dug it up by now. They're looking. I mean, people got files on me, screenshots, watching everything I do, listening to every word I preach. Just looking for something. Anything that they could spin to make it look, any excuse People are just waiting for that opportunity for me to say the wrong thing so I can get attacked. And you know what? In their minds, I'm going to slip up eventually. Because the truth is, if I'm evil, if I'm wicked, I will. You can only hide it for so long. Okay. And so the truth is, if you're wicked, what you need to do is you just need to fix it, put on that breastplate of righteousness, because you will get found out. Okay? But if, as long as I keep doing right, as long as I'm not doing anything... You know, And I'm not making myself vulnerable by removing that breastplate of righteousness and by doing things wicked, they're not going to be able to get me. And that's why I've had all kinds of things thrown at me, but nothing sticks. Okay? But again, like I said, in their mind, because people judge me the way they are in their hearts, they're going to get me eventually. And, and they will if I am bad. Okay? But um, I will protect myself not by hiding better, I protect myself by just doing right. And if you all do right, and then across the board, whether it be in your business, whether it be, you know, how you operate with your neighbors, whatever you do, if you just do the right thing, you'll be protected. But many times we do, we think, you know, I can can get ahead by being dishonest. No, you're just going to make yourself vulnerable and you're going to get hit. And Israel now, Jacob is feeling vulnerable. You know why? Because what they did was wrong. It was wicked. And so we need to remember that. It's a good lesson we can learn there. But So it says in verse 31, so this is their answer when Jacob is getting on him for being cruel. And they said, should he deal with our sisters with a harlot? Okay. Now, I believe this statement shows that Dinah, Dinah was complicit in this because harlots are willing, aren't they? Harlots, you know, they, uh, you know, if the price is right, you know, they, they will do that. And so they didn't... You know, this wasn't a rape or anything like that. Dinah went along with this. And so this statement that they made, though, was very self-righteous, and it was very hypocritical. Because we're going to see in the very next chapter, Bilhah lays with his father's concubine. So obviously he doesn't care that much about that stuff. Judah, later on we're going to see, he laid with his daughter-in-law that he thought was a harlot. We're going to see that story. Later, So, do we really think these people care that much about the sin of fornication? I don't think so. You know, here's why they were offended. Because while it was okay for them to do it to other women as harlots, they felt it was wrong for someone else to do it to one of them. It was okay for them to treat other women as harlots, but nobody else can treat our women as harlots. Now that's a pretty arrogant attitude, isn't it? Now, now think about it. This is pretty much again, the first generation. Yes, we had Abraham, but it was really just Abraham and his wife, and then you have Isaac. He had one son, well, you know, Ishmael didn't count. You've got Isaac, same thing with him. He just has Jacob and Esau. This is the first generation where they're really multiplying now, and already already they have this superior Attitude, like we're just of noble blood, we're all these wonderful things, not even realizing that you know our grandfather believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. They didn't get that. It would have been nice if they'd have had the book of Romans. You know, we we all you know Paul understood all that from reading Genesis, but they didn't understand these things from hearing these things from their father. These things would have been passed down to them, but they've already got a superior attitude, and this attitude with Israel. We see it throughout their history, and we see it even to this day. The same superior attitude, we can treat all the goyim like garbage, but they better not mess with us. You know, we can go and we can treat the Palestinians like garbage. We can run them off their land. We can be cruel to them. We can be mean to them. But if you just say, I don't think Israel's any better than anybody else, we're anti-Semitic, aren't we? Isn't it amazing what they can say about other people, but we can't say anything about them? That's the way it has always been. It's the way it still is. One thing we've been learning about the Jews uh, throughout the book of Genesis, they've never changed. Now look what it says in Romans chapter 2. I want to show you something. I titled this sermon, Inexcusable Israel. Inexcusable Israel, because in Romans 1... We do. We see them talking about these reprobates, just how wicked they are, just all these terrible, terrible things they did. And you know what? It was true. I think he's referring specifically to the Greeks and the Romans and people like that, that Greek culture, the Gentile culture, it was very wicked. And on paper, it was, in many ways, more wicked than the Jews were, wasn't it? Uh, There's no doubt about that. But at the same time, We can see in the scriptures, and it was the same thing in their day, the Jews were pretty bad too. And I believe that's what he's trying to show them here in chapter 2. And so it says in in chapter 2, verse 1, Okay, the trendies like to just get to this verse here and then act like, you know, we're all bad for looking down on the Romans 1 people. Hey, Listen, the Romans 1 people are bad. Shechem was bad. All these people in these lands we're reading about in Genesis were bad. Okay, but at the same time, you know, Israel was bad too. Just because they weren't, yeah, they weren't as bad as the men of Sodom. but They were still pretty bad. And it says in verse 1, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doeth the same things. Kind of like we see in Genesis chapter 34. When they don't like the way Shechem and those people are, but yet and they go and kill all these men. They kill a whole city for what they did to their sister, yet they can do that kind of thing to other women and nothing should happen to them. Isn't that interesting? They and in this day the Jews all thought all those Gentiles should go to hell for their wickedness, but we're all going to heaven because we're Abraham's seed. God said, Oh, really? You know, you're inexcusable to think that way because here you are judging another, and you do the same thing. I don't care how religious you are. We've all done sin. We've all sinned. That's what Romans 3 is all about. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's the lesson here we're seeing in Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3. It says in verse 2, But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. The judgment of God is coming on those who sin. Okay. Those queers, those adulterers, those fornicators, the judgment of God is coming for them. But here's the scary part. It's coming for all of them. Whether they're Jew or Gentile. It says, And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them that do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Let me ask you this. Now, nobody raised their hand, but I imagine... If we started just testifying right now, we, there's probably some confessions that some of y'all have done, some of the sins that we see in Romans chapter 1. So, and we all believe they're going to hell, and you know what? They deserve to go to hell. They do. But what makes us think we don't? Whoever ever thought about that? Yeah, the queers deserve to go to hell. But what makes us think we don't? Okay. Well, I never did that one. Well, you've done other sins. Okay. There's other things on the list. All right, we've all gotten nailed somewhere on the list. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Yeah, you're not a queer, but you don't measure up to Jesus. You still come short. So it says, Or despiseth thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance, but after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and re- uh, revelation of the righteous judgment of God. We don't... listen. Simeon and Levi, they weren't even repenting after they did this thing. Self-righteous. They dealt with our sister as a harlot. We were justified in what we were doing. Yet, they didn't talk about killing themselves when they were doing the same thing later on. You know what? They're, they're hypocrites. But it says, "...who will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor, immortality, eternal life, but unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth." But obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first, and also of the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first, and also the Gentile, for there is no respect of persons with God. So, isn't it interesting how Israel judged others differently than they judged themselves? Isn't that what the Apostle Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter 2? That's exactly what he's talking about here. And it says in verse 12, For as many as have sinned without the law, okay, that's people like Shechem, they shall also perish without law. But as many, And as many as have sinned in the law, that's the Jews, they shall be judged by the law. That's where they all get in trouble because every, every, all have sinned. "...for not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law or the law of themselves, would show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing, or else excusing one another, in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel." You know, I think what he's saying here, there's people out there who don't have the law, but yet they have a law that's written in their hearts. And they do really probably better than many who do have the law. Shechem, for example, while he was bad, while he definitely comes short of God's God's glory, I think he probably had a better heart than guys like Simeon and Levi did. But Simeon and Levi, at this point, they hadn't done what Shechem had done, but they had done other things, in this very chapter, they, mur- they murdered. They were cruel. They were instruments of cruelty in this chapter. But yet, they feel completely justified because they haven't done that once. And they had a sorry heart. They had a wicked heart. Where Shechem, he wasn't a very good guy, but he probably had a better heart than they did. And so, what we're seeing in Romans 1, 2, and 3 is that we look everything that paul said about people who do the things in romans 1 he was absolutely right they are worthy of death but you know those of us who haven't done those things we're all guilty of sin too and it's amazing how down we can be on other people when we know better not realizing at the end of the day the only reason any of us are ever going to step one foot into heaven is because of the grace of god because jesus christ paid for our sins and that's the only difference that, that, that literally is the only difference. The only difference is faith without works. That's why chapter 4. He spends all that time explaining how salvation is not by the works of the law. That's what these Jews thought. They thought, well, you know what? We're better than those men of Shechem and those people. We were circumcised. No, they are still They still weren't better. And a lot of religious people think, because they've been baptized, because they sit in church, because they do all these things, that they're somehow better than everybody else. Everybody in here ought to better remember, the only reason you are going to heaven is because of Jesus Christ. And anything we're doing extra, we're just doing it out of love for God, because we want to please him the best we can. But even on our best day of being good Christians, we still deserve hell. But the grace of God is there for us. Jesus paid the price. And so the truth is, Israel, they had no excuse there was no excuse for what Simeon and Levi did that was wicked they should have they should have known better than that but look at how self-righteous they were and that and that's the attitude Israel has carried with them to this day still think they're better than everybody else because of a circumcision that's ridiculous while they do some of the most wicked things themselves but they do it in circumcision and folks you know that mentality it's in every religion okay it's in it's in the IFB world yeah we treat people like trash but we're soul winners and we're saved we're saved soul winners so who cares if we cuss and do whatever you know treat people like garbage rail backbite pick people apart like buzzards you know who who cares no listen it's been, because we are saved because we know the things that we know we should be better than that and you know, sometimes I'm ashamed by people I meet on the outside that are doing really good considering where they come from. And I look at what I've been given and thinking, you know, I'm not I'm not really much better than these people. And you know, we need we need to keep these things in mind too, and maybe it'll help us not be so mean and nasty to people. Why'd you rip that person off? Why are you mean to uh, that? You know. You could tell they were drunk. You know, they had tattoos all over there. They were this, they were that. Well, you know what? What do you expect out of this culture? You know what? You can treat, you can treat them better. I expect more from you than I do from them. I expect, I expect everyone in here to go out of their way to be kind and to be a blessing to others than I do for those people out there. You know, but we think because we don't have all those outward flaws going on that somehow the rules are different for us. Man, that's, a, that's pretty bad if we still have that attitude after we've read chapters like Genesis 34, supposedly a bunch of times. It's a, pretty, it's a pretty wicked attitude, and we don't want to get that way. There's no excuse for that. And So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word and uh, great lessons that we learned there. Dear God, I pray if we get anything from this chapter, help us to understand, Lord, that uh, we need to be merciful towards others. Help us not to be so self-righteous and puffed up with pride and just have this attitude like, we're better than everybody else just because we we're able to say we're Baptists or soul winners. So Lord, help us just to always remember we are completely dependent on your grace and your mercy. And help us to never forget that and help us to treat others uh, in, in a just way and with kindness. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's go.